What's your name? Internet darling. Thanks for the blood. You cannot give me any advice. Get you waiting. We go again. I know that I can be selfish and narcissistic and self-destructive, but underneath all that deep down, I'm a good person and I need you to tell me that I'm good. Shut, 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 shut. We live inside a dream. And it's just stupid that I'm in this world. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Knives Monroe. How are you guys doing? Hopefully, you're doing well. Topic for today is 20 years of video maker. 2003 marks 20 years I've been making videos for other people and putting them in some form or another, distributing them, putting them on the internet, and uh, putting your neck out there and risking being roasted, uh, risking being ostracized, risking alienation, derision by by putting videos out there on the internet. I've been doing it for a long time. Some people think just from optics alone that I'm way more successful than I am. People think I make way much more money than I actually do. People think that uh, I've accomplished way more than I have. And I think it's a product of the fact that I've been doing this for a very long time, 20 years. Um, in 2003, I, I understood that I wanted to, to do this for a living. And 2003, here we are, 2023, so much has changed. Um, 20, 2003 was a, a formative year for me. Uh, the Evanescence album Fallen debuted, Kill Bill Volume 1 came out, and that was my come to Jesus moment. Now, I wouldn't see Kill Bill until the next year, 2004, and that's when I had my what I call my Hogwarts letter, which, which was in 2004. Um, but Kill Bill came out in 2003, and I have been playing and tinkering with cameras for a very long time. Um, DV, digital video, is what they called it back in the day. Now it's it's just a video. Like it's, it's crazy. A video has become democratized. Video has become, um, ubiquitous. Everybody has a camera now with their phones. Mostly anybody can shoot in 4k with the advent of cap cut. People are making and posting videos now more frequently than ever. If I was 14 years old and tinkering with cap cut today, it would be game over, man. Like it's just, so much has happened uh, so fast, just in my brief tenure of doing this. So I want to talk about um, the evolution of videography and technology over the past 20 years. I remember the first camera that I ever bought. I saw it on QVC. I begged my mom to purchase it with her credit card. And to her credit, shout out to, to Tommy. How you doing, mom? She did. She bought it with her credit card. And it must have took me three to six months to pay it off. It was a JVC camera. It was five megapixels. It could record on SD cards. I wish I knew the model to this day. I'm going to find that model and probably buy one just for novelty purposes. Um, but I did pay it off with my own job. I was working at Church's Chicken. I believe it cost about 600 bucks all in. Little JVC camera, five megapixels, took SD cards, which at the time... Not only were SD cards overpriced, expensive, hard to find, but I believe the sizes 
were like 256 megabytes. 256 megabytes. This is circa 2005. I'm a senior in high school. That's the first camera I ever I ever buy for myself. It's that little small JVC handy cam. It had three modes. They were all like 480p. One megapixel, three megapixel stills, five megapixel stills. Shot in black and white, <laughs> sepia, color. Uh, and you can still find some of this footage out there if you if you Google Knives Monroe and you search for backyard wrestling. You'll find that footage. It's out there. It's out there. And I also bought, in tandem with that camera, a laptop, which I believe the hard drive had 30 gigs on it. And I would edit my videos on Windows Movie Maker my senior year. That's all I did was eat, sleep, and breathe video editing. Now, flashback before that, I was um, filming on my my aunt's camera that she threw in the trash because the screen wouldn't work. And I jimmied it, and I realized that if you plugged it in, the AV cables, which were the white and yellow cables, if you plug them into the television, that you could use the television as basically an external monitor. And even though the on-screen camera, the LCD camera, the the on, on the uh, the screen even though that wouldn't work you can still use the television to shoot and uh, I fixed that camera and that was the one I started cutting my teeth on for sure was that camera and Jackass was white hot at the time Vivo La Bam things of that nature so best believe that I was copying them uh, wanted to be just like them this is so personal <laughs> I haven't divulged this in public before but if you know you know uh, me and my friends. Of course, you had to have the, the camera rolling, but stick our hands in ant piles and record our reactions to see who could hold their hand in the ant pile the longest. I remember taking pepper spray. Uh, one of my friends had access to pepper spray. Point blank, I'm talking one inch away from the eye, pepper spray. The worst pain I've ever felt in my life, nothing's come close, was pepper being pepper sprayed on camera. It was just not even funny. It wasn't cool. It was like a freak accident happened. I don't know how Johnny Knoxville and the boys make it look so funny, but it was it was a tragedy when we did it. But it had to be videotaped. And so Ward got around neighborhoods and any neighborhood that I went into that I was like the video camera guy, right? And now I'm shooting this podcast on a Sony A7S III, which was a camera that I dreamed of just a couple of years back, and now it's come to fruition. Um, last year... I'd purchased the the red Komodo to shoot my buddy JR's movie, his short film, You Don't Mess Around with Nancy Noble, which, by the way, this February of 2023, we'll be going to Huntsville, Texas to debut that movie at the Prison City Film Festival. So super stoked about that. Like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube if that's where you're watching this or on Spotify if that's where you're watching this. Make sure to check it out on YouTube and subscribe to Indie Darlings because there will be a vlog showcasing those two days, uh, that road trip that JR and I are going to take. So absolutely insane. Um, my career has kind of come full circle videography wise. You know, I've used that JVC camera. I've used DV cameras. I've used tape cameras, VHS cameras, T2i, T3i, Canon 5D Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, Canon M50, Canon M50 Mark II, Canon R5, R6, C100, all the way to the GH2 
GH3, GH4, GH5, S5, S1H, the Sony A7S2, A7R2, A7S3, the ZV1, the FS5. I mean, I don't say this to impress you, but just to impress upon you that I have touched all kinds of cameras and those cameras have touched me too. <laughs> the evolution of videography over the past 20 years, its it's been insane. Um, I remember when 4K happened and it was the first of its kind and Luke Newman was like the, the first dude, shout out to him who's been on the podcast as well, was the first dude from Newman Films to upload, I think, a 4K video on YouTube. And now 4K is just it's just in our phones. It's just in our pockets burning a hole like nothing. Um, it's it's quite insane. The evolution has been amazing and I'm here for it. And I've learned a lot since then. And, and honestly, the things that spark the most joy over my career nowadays is the moments in which I feel like I'm 14, 15, 16 year olds again. And, uh, and it's like I'm making a jackass short, uh, short and, you know, being able to upload stuff pre YouTube putting it, burning it on CDs and putting it on schools, different computers on their hard drives. That was like our definition of going viral back in 2005. And just being able to say that I did that, like saying this out loud, putting it all together on this podcast makes me very proud to, to be an old timer. Sometimes I get a little jaded and I wish that I was a younger cat because I see these kids on TikTok just crushing it. So burden free and it's just absolutely amazing but you can tap back back into that if, if you're so inclined if you really want to uh, but let's talk about the challenges I face over my last uh, 20 years as a videographer you know the first 13 15 years of being a videographer I was essentially working for free or working on spec shout out to Adam Moya who I'm filming a tiny desk music video of this Monday which is in two days shout out to him because you know, I've worked with this guy for over 10 years. You know, the Landlocked Pirates music videos are legendary. They're on YouTube. Um, there's some stuff here on Indie Darlings as well that I've done with him, the podcast that I did with him. And, oh, you know, I feel like together we're the Indie Darlings, you know, together we've made magic um, using my craft and using his craft. We've grown together. And so, that's part of like the evolution, but it's also part of the challenge because I've never made a dollar off of Adam Moya ever, you know, um, and I'm not prickly or cynical or jaded about that. It's just what it is. Uh, the first 15 years of my career, never made a dime, you know, shot a quinceanera here and there, shot a wedding here and there, um, always a disaster. So, I, you know, I think I never really made too much money. I, I shot a, a music video for, I believe, uh, Madeline Victoria, which is on YouTube as well. I don't think we got paid for that, me and the crew at the time. Um, it, it was just a bunch of free work for the first 13, 15 years. I didn't really make a dollar in this business until I met Dakota Meyer in 2017, which has been well documented. And, and Robert Gardner, um, who I've worked with as well, very closely, shortly thereafter, uh, that guy wrote a check for X amount of money and shoved it in my pockets. Uh, it was pretty amazing because I always thought in the Gary Vaynerchuk, Gainer Vaynerchuk sense of the word that if I jab, 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 eventually I would go for the right hook and, and I'd get paid. And, and now, you know, I get paid regularly. I pay my money. I pay my mortgage with art money. It's, it's absurd. It's insane. So, uh, still to this day, I still do free work, uh, work on spec. I still do, 
work for free. Um, I still sell myself short. That's, that's kind of the nature of videography in a way. But in 2023, I'm looking on changing that. It's been well documented over the past 20 years that there's been uh, all kinds of challenges. But I think I'm going to set my rates at, in such a way that if I can over communicate the value to these clients, I think they're either going to be willing to pay it or they're not. And I'm willing to let that work go. I'm tired of selling my ass for $200 a pop. I think the, those days are coming to an end. So yeah, lots to learn there. Too many challenges to really go through on this podcast. That'll be a podcast in and of itself. So if you have any questions when it comes to uh, videography challenges, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to tackle that as well. Let's talk about the, the impact of personal and professional growth on my videography style. Um, the truth is, my passion, I've learned over the years, is behind-the-scenes documentary. I love filming vicariously through my subjects and kind of living through them. Um, one, of, one of my favorite shorts that I ever made, once again, for free, was uh, this little, I'll link it right over here. Uh, it was, it's called Indie Darling's Lester Platt. And I just went to his crib, didn't have any questions prepared, interviewed him. He had a model there, filmed them, filmed him taking pictures of her. And that little short that came out of that with music by David Bowie, music by Can, music by Nina Simone, that packaging, that five-minute video right here is one of my most proudest videos. Um, and it was a short-form documentary, documentary, essentially. And I would say that's my style, if anything. Um, I don't like to edit things that I've never filmed. Like when you get a bulk video and it's like edit this for some sort of assignment or project, I find it very tedious and difficult to edit something that I didn't shoot myself because I shoot for my edit and I edit based on what I knew, what I know I got, the money shots and the hero shots that I got in camera. So I, I feel very uncomfortable editing things that I did not shoot. Part of my style is shooting and editing. That's what I do. Um, let's talk about balancing artistic vision with client expectations while we're on that. <laughs> you know, what we do is a, it, we're, we're in a service position. It's a service role. We're here to facilitate the person who's signing the checks, their vision of what they want when it comes to videography. Now, sometimes, uh, oh, you just, you just saw magic happen. The power went out, but here we still are. So you're going to hear my family kind of skedaddle and you're, you're going to hear them in a bit, but stay with me here. Stay with me here. Whoever writes the check gets to pick the music. You're going to see the power flicker because right now we're in the middle of an ice storm and I'm still here making this podcast, making this video. And we're getting it done. So my external monitor is turning off and on. My lights flickered. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're seeing this happen in real time. Pretty eerie. Pretty eerie. But I want to stay on task here. We're going to finish this. Whoever pays for the wedding gets to pick the music, essentially. Right? So it's hard balancing your artistic vision with your client expectations. And the truth is, I don't I don't put all my eggs in that basket. You know, I know that I'm I'm there to perform a service. I'm there for the client. Uh, it's their vision. Oftentimes, clients don't really know what they want. So that's where you have a little wiggle room to, quote unquote, get your shit in. 
Um, every now and then that means I'm going to get a cool slow motion shot. I'm going to do a nice little thing with music that I like to use. I'm going to use a title sequence that I like to use. That I like to use. So it's all about finding little pockets, little pockets where you can sprinkle your creativity into client work. I've also done stuff for this company called Freedom Learning Group where we, you know, you know it's an instructional design courseware sort of uh, company. And I've made hundreds, probably a thousand courses for them over the course of a year. And oftentimes you're dealing with a company and a brand that actually know what they want and they know how they want it. They know how fast they want it and uh, they're footing the bill. And so best believe you're going to do it done by their branding kit, how they want uh, as much as they want it, when they want it, and they're calling all the shots. And so I know what it's like to make, I'll say it, soul sucking work for a client as well. And you're not going to be able to balance that artistic vision. But if you can maintain in your own cadence, a one for them, one for me, psychology, mentality, deal, if you will. And that's why I'm growing Indie Darlings is because I've done so much for them that this is for me. So balancing that artistic vision with those client expectations is not without its challenges, but if you can find that balance and if you can surf those waves, it's totally worth the time. But this channel is where I get my shit in and it's where I try to make things work and I'm making it work, best believe. Um, maintaining a network in the videography industry has always been challenging for me because I might look like an extrovert. I might look like someone who goes to all the networking events takes shots with the CEOs, et cetera, et cetera. I don't drink. I, I don't golf. I don't attend the networking events. I have crazy acute like agoraphobia. And then at the same time, I have like the biggest ego you've ever seen. I'm a extreme introvert, but then like I'm a narcissist that like charges with the energy of a group of people. Like it's, you know, to quote Kendrick Lamar, I'm an antisocial extrovert is what it feels like sometimes. So it's really hard maintaining that network. Um, when I was in the Rio Grande Valley for the first 13 years of my career or so, um, I had a network. I knew Joe Rios. I knew Christian Blake. I knew Christina Trevino. I was busy and I was working with that network. And I had my boys, RJ and Mark and Dave and even Sean. We, we worked together and, and um, rang a lot of bells, shook a lot of trees, got a lot of shit done. We were... We were, we were kind of big in the Rio Grande Valley. We represented the 956 really well, I thought. Uh, we were pioneers insofar as creating and distributing feature films, short films, web series. Um, it, I was really am amazed by our work. And the truth is, it's really easy to stand out in the Rio Grande Valley. It's really easy to be a big fish in a small pond. All you have to do is stand up and you're above water down there. So... When I moved to Austin, Texas, I started from scratch. I sort of sacrificed my network, my contacts, my friends, my, you know, uh, anybody that I knew that could really give me a leg up in this business. And so I've been in Austin roughly for about 10 years. And slowly but surely, 10 years is not a long time. It sounds like a long time, but it, but it isn't. Slowly but surely, I'm building that work network, and it's and it's growing and it's evolving. But I found building and maintaining a network in videography and in the industry as a whole is a little more easy, 
on the internet. So there's a beautiful community on TikTok that I'm a part of. Shout out to Quinn. Shout out to Chris Burke. Shout out to the gatekeepers, David Legowski and Cameron Stroud. These are these are these are guys that I met on TikTok. And you know, as I grow my YouTube channel, as I grow the podcast, even more so, there's going to be a community that I infiltrate on YouTube. There's going to be a community that I infiltrate on TikTok. And I think that's the best way to grow that because you can do that anywhere, whether if you live in Donna, Texas, or if you live in Austin, Texas, um, really building that network. Uh, I think doing it online is probably the best way to do it. So let's talk about the role of failure and risk-taking uh, when it comes to the success of being a videographer. I have taken a lot of risks, mo- mostly financial risks of believing in myself, buying equipment, and then having 20 weddings ahead of me, knowing that I need my own equipment to facilitate those asks. Um, getting the red Komodo, for example, was like a $10,000 investment that I put into producing a film for my friend that I didn't even direct. It was, it was all for JR. Um, that was, that was a risk. And I, I think you need to have the balls to take risks in this business. And the bis- the biggest risk that you can take in this business is going all in on yourself. If you can do that, you can do anything. Let's talk about the transition from traditional videography to the digital age. I don't have a ton of experience with celluloid, with the old media. Uh, All I know is the digital age. But what I will say is inside the digital age, there is an old guard. There are gatekeepers. And it's, it's hard to get over in this new digital renaissance, right? Like I did not start taking YouTube, for instance, seriously as the end game till 2023 almost 20 years after its inception um that's that's one of those things that i had an old school sensibility and mentality on how i thought a filmmaker was supposed to conduct themselves and how they were supposed to behave and what they were supposed to aspire for i had to give that up and i gave it up slowly one rock at a time like shawshank redemption style like with a little pickaxe, giving these old ideas away one step at a time to really be here with you in this 2023 new age digital renaissance. Um, So it took a lot of unlearning and a lot of relearning in a way. So uh, my old school traditional background comes from the filmmaking elitism, not from you know, the old school, actual hands-on technical practice and prowess, right? So I think that's interesting. The role of storytelling in videography and its impact on the viewer. Oh man, Uh, the guy I think of who invented a genre over the past 20 years who deserves as much credit as uh, Robert Bresson, Francois Truffaut, uh, Jean-Luc Godard, is Casey Neistat on YouTube. The biggest compliment I've ever gotten, and I get it every now and then, is, oh, you remind me of Casey Neistat. I guess because of how I compose things and say things in such a way, or maybe I speak to the camera. I'll be honest. I don't know what reminds other people of Casey Neistat when they see me. I really don't know, and I'm not going to attempt to understand. But that's how I discovered Casey, was someone compared me to him. And I thought, well, I've never heard of her. YouTubed Casey Neistat, fell in love and realized, wow, this this storytelling 
ability, this storytelling power is unlike anything I've ever seen from coming from film, coming from cinema. And it's as cinematic as anything can possibly be. There's a, there's a documentary quality to it. There's a, a David Fincher quality to what he does too. Um, he's, he's absolutely superb and uh, has just, you know, what, what is there to say about Casey Neistat that hasn't already been said? If you've never heard of him, YouTube him, and I, I believe you'll fall in love. But um, let's, let's use that to pivot my last topic uh, in this macro topic as a whole of videography and celebrating 20 years into it. Let's talk about the future of videography and the predictions for the industry in the next 20 years. I think guys like Casey Neistat are the, the, the pioneers and have set the standard and have set the precedent of what we can get away with and what is possible moving forward into the 21st century, moving forward in the 2020s. I think something like a uh, shout out to Cody Warner, a uh, big supporter of this channel, big supporter of me personally. love that guy. Check him out on YouTube as well. Um, this guy understood the power of the vlog style as a genre for businesses. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more UGC. UGC is sort of like chat GPT, which is sort of like NFTs in that there are there's a broification in that UGC is sort of like the new I'm a real estate agent kind of let's hop on that trend sort of thing but if somebody reached out to me and wanted to do UGC content user generated content for them I'd consider it if it was for a uh, the appropriate price and for a product that I used and believed in right that I see moving forward to big big channels Big companies, uh, I think, is 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 going to be part of the future of videography as a genre, but also the one person business. I think is going to be a model that will maybe not necessarily replace corporations on the whole, but will be the alternative and will will be the new film school, the new college. The new route to success is being a one-person business because truly, if you can make 50 grand telling your stories a year, if you can make 50, 80, 100 grand a year being yourself and productizing yourself and making content for you, facilitating your dreams through videography, why wouldn't you do that? I think there will be less burnout. There will be less depression. It'll be better for our mental health. It'll be better as an equilibrium, you know, because we all we're all in this shared space and this creative economy ecosystem together, right? I think it's better for all of us together and the longevity of innovation in the videography freelance filmmaker space if we can support ourselves and tell our stories and tell our dreams first and foremost, put ourselves as a priority and make money doing it. I think more most people are going to give up their $200,000 a year job that stresses them the heck out and come over to a one person business where they'll take a pay cut but through automations and through systems and through technology they'll be able to just support themselves. And tell these stories however they see fit. Maybe for some people it's a newsletter. Maybe for some people it's a blog that turns into a book. Maybe for some people it's short form content. Maybe for some people they're like me and it's a podcast because that's what they're naturally great at. Either way, that's the future of videography and that's my prediction for the industry. And the next 20 years, in the not too distant future, 
that's where I see things going. So for the last 20 years, I just want to thank everybody that has supported me on this journey so far. It means the absolute world to me. You don't you don't even know. My YouTube channel, for instance, has grown over 100 subscribers in the past 30 days. There is something about posting every day, which is what I've been doing in January, whether if it's a short or if it's a long form video like this, or if it's a podcast that I do with my brother, either way, you guys are helping me and you're helping this channel grow and you're you're supporting the thesis. And that means more to me than I can possibly convey. If you've made it this far, let me know. Shout me out, please. I'd love to see it. Just, just a hat tip goes a long way for me. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I love you guys. Keep a force field around your heart and I'll see and hear you guys on the next podcast. Peace.